and welcome to the November 2019 edition of Aon's Retirement Market Update podcast. Before we get started, let's just address the elephant in the room. Now, I, I was going to have a crack at the accent, but that would have just been embarrassing for all concerned. So instead, I just have to admit that I'm not Victoria. Yes, Victoria sadly left Aon for Pastures New, so I'm your new host, Ricky Marsh. I'm the second person to do this job, so in James Bond terms, that kind of makes me George Lazenby, and he famously managed a grand title of one film before Sean Connery came back, so maybe I shouldn't get too comfortable. So in case you're worried about what to expect from this first post-Panormo podcast, you'll be relieved to hear that I'm not going to mess around with the format too much. Later on, I'll be joined by John Baines and Steve Purvis to talk about recent developments in the risk settlement market. But first, let's take a look at some of the big stories from this month's Pensions News. First up, we finally have a pensions bill. Got a brief mention in the Queen's speech, and then the bill itself was published in its full 196-page glory shortly afterwards. I know some people have read it, but I'll be honest, I haven't. The biggest part of the bill sets out a new framework for collective DC schemes, like the arrangement that's proposed for raw male employees. This type of scheme will allow risks to be shared between members while employer contributions remain fixed. The bill also provides a framework to support pensions dashboards, with new requirements on schemes to feed in information relating to members and their benefits. There are also expanded powers for the pensions regulator, with significant new anti-avoidance powers, including much wider scope for issuing contribution notices and new criminal offences with the potential for prison sentences and unlimited fines. There's also a new requirement for a written chair statement for DB schemes, covering some very specific details on long-term objectives, such as target funding levels and asset allocations at certain specific dates in the future. However, it does look like we'll have to wait a little bit longer for regulations on DB consolidation, as the bill doesn't contain anything on this. The bill does still need to go through the usual parliamentary process, and some details would need to be filled in by regulations later on, but it does at least give us a clear idea of the direction of travel. The PLSA have unveiled a set of retirement living standards which aim to help people picture their future retirement and what it might cost. They do this by starting with three different lifestyle levels, minimum, moderate, and comfortable, and then looking at the total income needed to achieve each one of those based on a range of goods and services. The intention is that savers could use this to start developing their own targets based on their own circumstances and aspirations. The PLSA's ambition is for these standards to be rolled out across the industry, and they hope to see 90% of active savers in schemes that use the standards in their member communications by 2025. The Pensions Minister, Guy Opperman, has written to 50 of the largest schemes in the UK asking a series of probing questions about their actions on ESG, climate change and stewardship. Listen back to last month's podcast for more on these. According to the press release issued by the DWP, the aim is to monitor compliance with the new investment and disclosure regulations that came into force on the 1st of October. This is another sign of the growing expectations and attention on pension schemes in these areas and the drive for transparency from regulators and government. While we're on the subject of increased scrutiny, the pensions regulator is also contacting a total of 1,200 schemes to remind them to carry out reviews of both common and scheme-specific data every year. This includes 400 schemes who are being asked to complete an urgent data review within the next six months, as their scheme returns suggest they haven't reviewed their data at all in the last three years. TPR has also made it clear that trustees who find their data is of poor quality will be expected to draw up an improvement plan. PASA's GMP Equalisation Working Group published their guidance on methods. This sets out practical suggestions on how schemes can tackle common technical issues that probably won't be considered by the courts. 
Now that includes things like no further liabilities, such as say a historic death or lack of opportunity cases. An example of that is say where members have been told in the past they couldn't take their benefits in a certain form due to GMP restrictions, but maybe now they could. We did tell you it was going to be complicated. More guidance is due to follow in the next few months on data, impacted transactions and tax. And they'll also be issuing a paper on the relationship between GMP equalization and GMP rectification, which strange as it may sound is something my clients have actually shown quite a lot of interest in. And finally, the UK findings from Aon's latest global pension risk survey have been released. This is our survey of scheme sponsors, trustees and other pensions professionals, which we carry out every two years. This year's survey is split into chapters covering long-term targets, investment considerations, managing benefits and liabilities, DB risks and hot topics, by which I mean cyber risk and, yep, there it is again, GMP equalization, everyone's favorite. You can download the full survey report and listen to a replay of a webinar discussing the findings on our website. I'll include a link in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on any of this month's news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. 2019 is already a record-breaking year for risk settlement. We've seen eight huge bulk annuity transactions and the total volume of risk transferred to the insurance market in these alone has been enough to take us past the previous record of £24.2 billion set last year. AM were the lead advisors on five of these deals, and today I'm joined by John Baines and Steve Purvis to talk about these and the market more generally. John, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to just briefly introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is John Baines. I'm a partner in Aon's Risk Settlement Group. Hi, I'm Stephen Purvis and also a partner in Aon's Risk Settlement Group. Okay, thank you. So, um, I mean, it sounds like it's been a really busy year. Uh, what's been happening in the market this year? Yes, yeah, so 2019 has been another record year uh, following 2018's record year. This year, we're very quickly approaching deal volumes of 40 billion, so almost double what we saw last year. I think what's underpinned this record year has been a surge in demand from the so-called jumbo pension schemes or jumbo uh, transactions, and in particular for full scheme transactions, um, for example, Telent uh, over the summer uh, for 4.7 billion, and more recently, Asda for 3.8 billion. We've seen lots of barriers being broken down this year too, um, so scale being one of those. Um, insurers' willingness to accept some of the more complex asset structures that some of the larger schemes might hold. And we've seen a real acceleration in some of the bidding processes themselves. So deal execution, uh, speed of contract negotiation, meaning that governance and the ability for trustees and sponsors to react quickly to capture commercial opportunities have become more important than ever. Okay, so this effectively continues a trend of the growth in the market over a number of years. But is there anything in particular that's driving this year's big increases? Yeah, I think most of the drivers that we've seen in previous years that have been well discussed continue very much into 2019. So higher levels of mortality rates, asset performance, company contributions, pricing being affordable, all makes bulk annuities much more attractive to, to lots of pension schemes. Probably the interesting point is 2019, we've seen somewhat of a pent-up demand. That schemes who perhaps could have transacted or were close to transacting in previous years have now got over the line, having got the governance and preparation well in place. And the second point is appetite from corporates to de-risk. We looked at FTSE 100 companies in analysis uh, recently. We've now passed a third of FTSE 100 companies who've removed longevity risk, which shows a real appetite from investors um, to remove that risk from, from balance sheets. 
So, Steve, there's clearly been a lot of noise in the market around these these large transactions. But what does that mean for smaller schemes? Is there a risk that they get frozen out in some way? So there's a real misconception in the market that small deals have been pushed out by some of these larger transactions. Now, it, it is true that insurers have become more selective as they have across deals of all sizes. So it's become more important than ever for smaller deals to be well prepared when going to the insurers for quotations. Um, this might include the adoption of uh, streamlined uh, bidding processes, uh, such as those run by Aon via Aon's Pathway product, uh, to really get the insurer's attention and, more importantly, to present themselves in the best possible light to maximise the chances of insurer engagement and getting that competitive price. But it's certainly still possible for small schemes to get competitive pricing. And this year, we've probably seen around about 100 small deals transact in the market. John, if I can just ask you to get your crystal ball out for a moment, what what do you reckon we're going to see in the, the coming year? Easy one first. I think we'll see many more mega deals, probably as many, if not more, as, as this year. And that, that's across both bulk annuity and longevity space, HSBC, where we advise the Bermudan captive um, set what I see as being a new trend of large longevity deals. I think we'll continue to see large bulk annuity deals based on what we're already seeing in the market, but also deals that are likely to approach the market in future. If I look back to the start of 2019, we mentioned the five mega deals that we advised on. Only one of those was in the market at the start of this year. So all moved relatively quickly from approaching the market to actually transacting. I think the market's going to hit the ground running this year. We've gone past the days of people trying to tactically approach the market to hit insurer year ends. That simply doesn't happen anymore. We've actually got a number of schemes who have been flexible, approached the market already, ready to do a deal either in late 2019 or early 2020, depending on when the best pricing is. So I think we'll see quite a lot of deals in in quarter one. Uh, and then back onto Stephen's point earlier uh, around insurers being increasingly selective. I, I think that's vitally important at the small end and, and a trend that's likely to happen. I think that's going to creep up um, to, to larger deals as well as the market continues to get busier, just showing how important preparation is, not just at the small end, but increasingly at the medium and large end as well. And so I guess to, to both of you, what, what would the sort of key messages be um, for, for any schemes that are looking to transfer risk to an insurer over the next year or so? So for me, make sure the governance is in, in place at, at the outset. So trustee and company, both in collaboration and, and joined up with that approach. And just be prepared to expect the unexpected and have the governance in place to cope with that. From my point of view, I think innovation and, and think think beyond the boundaries of what you might think is possible. We've seen that again and again this year. So Rolls-Royce managed to remove all pension liabilities from the balance sheet through a buyout, which worked absolutely in the interest of every party, including remaining members and those that have got a secure pension with legal and general now. Um, we've seen it from an asset point of view. A number of the large buyouts had very liquid assets and perhaps thought that might be a barrier to transacting, but either in the insurance market or in the wider investment markets have managed to um, to transact uh, and get rid of those assets at a pretty good price, uh, which hasn't been a barrier to um, to overall transaction. And finally, have a wider eye on your overall end game. I think the dynamic we've seen in the market, we've seen some schemes, as Steve said, go all the way to buyout. We've seen National Grid follow the trend of many schemes, which is do transactions as buy-ins as they go along and remove the risk. Uh, and the right answer for each scheme will depend on corporate appetite, will depend on the assets, and will depend on your overall strategy. So doing that homework up front is, is absolutely critical. Right. Interesting times. Okay. Well, thanks very much to both of you for coming in. Thank you. 
Thank you. Okay, that's everything for this month. Thanks again to my guests, John Baines and Steve Purvis, and to you for sticking with us right to the bitter end. If you're still here listening, you must have enjoyed this at least a little bit, so don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.